The Lactation Network is setting a new standard for parents and lactation consultants alike. At TLN, their movement goes beyond any single outlet or tool. They activate education, connection, and advocacy to foster the new network of inclusive care between parents and IBCLCs. TLN is powered by the largest network of IBCLCs in the country. In fact, it's over 1,000 IBCLCs that are available to help you. You can find out if your insurance covers IBCLC support by requesting a free consult today. Take control of your breastfeeding journey and visit tln.care slash feedback. Hello, hello, you guys. We only have a couple weeks left of 2023, and it is blowing my mind. I cannot believe how fast the year has gone and how much has happened. I hope that you have had an amazing year and are gearing up for the holidays. I definitely have had a good year and am not ready for the holidays. Um, I'm never ready for the holidays. It's always crazy hustle and bustle. But I am always ready for a new episode and a new story to share. And today we have a special episode. I feel like this is a fun one because we kind of like follow-ups. It's really fun to sometimes have follow-ups. And uh, we have an H back after two cesarean birth to share with you today. And um, I'm going to let our guest tell you more about her birth and I'll give you a little bit of a preview. But is Amy, is it 102? Is that what you said? It's 102? Yes, 102. Yeah. So 102, episode 102. If you want to go here more like the she's got four babies you guys and if you want to hear more of the other babies stories definitely check out episode 102 but of course we have a review of the week so i want to get into that and this is by megan lindsay lindsay it says megan lindsay a whole bunch of wives says the support that i needed says after my c-section i said i wouldn't even consider getting pregnant again unless i was guaranteed a v-back when we were surprised by our current pregnancy i felt like i had already lost control and a say in the outcome i immediately went back to my same ob and hoped for the best something happened when i was about 20 weeks pregnant i wasn't able to sleep and I got up at 4 a.m. and I began researching how to have a successful VBAC. That was the morning I found Megan and Julie on Facebook. I was listening to their podcast later that day. By the evening, I knew that I was totally, that I had to totally change my plans. Ooh, that just gave me the chills right there. It says, I was going to let my birth happen to me. I was going to let my birth happen to me. That is so powerful right there. Women of strength, you do not need to let birth happen to you. You can go and you can birth and be in control of a lot of things in our birth. It says, because of these women, I realized that I have a voice in what happens to me. I switch my provider and hospital and I'm in the process of hiring a doula and I'm creating a thought about our birth plan. It is because of these women that I feel confident to go for my VBAC. Well, Megan Lindsay, (laughs) I am so happy that you felt that you were able to find your voice again and find your power and, and take control of your birth and not let birth happen to you. This was back in 2022, and here we are at the end of 2023. So Megan Lindsay, if you are still listening, please let us know. How did things go? How did your birth go? I hope that it went really well and that you felt empowered no matter how it ended. And you too, women of strength, if you are in a situation where you're not feeling that support and you're not feeling the love, know that it is okay. It is okay to do what's best for you. And if that's leaving a provider or switching things up birth location-wise, that's okay. I know it seems daunting. It, It is. It is daunting. I I did it myself at 24 weeks, but it is so worth it usually. And of course, if you haven't had a chance to leave a review in the 2024 year, we would love to bring some new reviews. So go over to your Apple podcast or Google. Uh, is it Google Play? Google? I don't even know what that is. Google or your Android 
you Android users, I don't know, <laughs> Google, whatever, or you can actually Google the VBAC link and leave us a review there. You are tuned into the VBAC link podcast with Megan Heaton, who is a longtime doula and VBAC mom herself, here to help you get inspired for birth after having had a C-section. Along with this podcast, the VBAC link offers blogs, resources, and a comprehensive VBAC course for both parents preparing for birth and doulas wanting to take their VBAC education to the next level. Be sure to follow Megan and her team on all social media platforms for even more. Although these podcast episodes are VBAC specific, it is encouraged for all expectant moms to listen and educate themselves on how to avoid a C-section from the get-go. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. Here is your host, Megan. Okay, cutie pie. I am so excited to have you back today. So, so excited. I, I'm so excited to get into to the story, but I also want to kind of talk about something that we're going to talk about at the end. And I know that this kind of, kind of like goes into your birth about cervical exams. I want to talk about cervical exams and uh, what do they look for? What do they do? What do they tell us? Are they necessary? And all of those things. So we're going to talk more about cervical exams at the end, but I would love to turn the time over to you and your cute little baby. If you guys, if you hear the cute little baby noises, we've got a baby on the show today. We do. We have a wide awake six month old, so (laughs) don't mind the squawks. Um, well, thank you so much. Obviously, you know, I'm incredibly excited to be back. Didn't think that was ever even going to happen. <laughs> um, if anybody's listened to the my like first episode at the end of the episode, Julie was like cheering on her husbands. I don't know if you remember this, like cheering on us both to have a fourth baby. Yep, I and do. It became a joke, like between you and I, and then you know, like an, an ongoing thing in our home. My husband would call it nagging. I just called it persistence. Um, but here we are. <laughs> And honestly, I, I really didn't think I was going to have another baby. So I just really feel like just incredibly blessed, excited, and just really happy to share another story. Just really hoping that this story can help somebody else who maybe is feeling some fears about a VBAC or a home birth or or any part of my story. I feel like there's like, you know, a lot of different kind of factors that play into it. So thank you for having me. I'm super excited. But yeah, I guess I'll get started. Um, I know... Uh, with every VBAC story, you know, we start with our, our C-sections. So like I, you mentioned, um, and I mentioned, if you want to hear the full, the full uh, two cesarean stories and my first VBAC after two C-section story, check out episode 102, um, because those are some, some long detailed stories and I'm not going to go through them all. But I do think they're important just to kind of hear like how I got to where I am today, because mm-hmm. each kind of birth and like pregnancy really just built upon it on the last and just my knowledge and my passion and just just all the information I learned and kind of played a role into my decisions for the next one. So mm-hmm. um so just like a real quick birth history. So gosh, it's been almost 10 years ago. So my oldest mm-hmm. is nine and a half. So I will go back to 2013. I really did plan like a nat- most natural uh delivery possible with a birth plan, but I didn't have a doula. I was induced at 41 and five and on Pitocin for 30 hours two epidurals, like every drain and and tube and uh, monitor coming out of me that could possibly come out of me, even though I, I really wanted none of it. <laughs> and then after two hours of pushing, you know, the covering OB coming in and, and saying, let's, we should have, you know, done a C-section hours ago, kind of like, you know, gave up my body kind of just, you know, the adrenaline kind of left my body. And I just said, let's, that's fine, whatever. And she was 10 pounds and probably OP. So I started playing my, my VBAC like in the postpartum room, Let's fast forward a couple of years. I switched providers, thought she was VBAC supportive. It was a little bit of a bait and switch, some scare tactics kind of things at the end and and ended up somehow on a scheduled C-section at 40 weeks in a day with no TOLAC, which I didn't really realize was insane until I met my next provider. But I mean, her C-section was straightforward. It was really nice to have a C-section without a labor and a you know 30 hours of Pitocin, but I just didn't feel like, you know, Honestly, that was a, a even a chance at a VBAC. So she um, had some big baby fears, I think, because she is VBAC supportive with other people. So that's kind of hard to learn about after the fact. And and my second Delaney, which is my Delaney. I know you have a Delaney. Um, she's seven. Um, my oldest is Adeline. She's nine and a half. So um, my second is Delaney. She's seven. And so she was my scheduled C-section. I say in air quotes, but I kind of look at her as a C-back because I really, really did in my heart and 
and plan for a VBAC. So she was nine pounds, three ounces. So also larger. And then fast forward a couple more years, switched to yet another doctor, kind of like the VBAC king in the area, did all the research, all the prep, and like the chiropractic care and did all the things, right? Got a doula. Um, and I did, you know, have my, which is when I was on the podcast, have my VBAC after two C-sections, just riddled with a lot of interventions after getting to the hospital. Kind of the most significant one is him breaking my water at four centimeters when I got there for really no apparent reason. Baby turning OP, pushing for an hour, and then it was a forcep assist. So I think the, while it was empowering and it was really life-changing, I think like after the fact, as I, I thought more about it, I did this big mental dump on my computer. Even though I, I assumed we would never have another baby, I did this big document like what I would do next time. And it's really interesting to look back because I did it pretty quickly after the birth and kind of like not necessarily regrets, but how I would do things differently, um, even even down to like first trimester. <laughs> so I actually um, think that's really powerful. Like it was. I it was really helpful. think that's great. Yeah. And I'm glad I did it because I did look back at it and, and and it was interesting to look at. But although it was a VBAC, and I will say I was I still feel really blessed. And I, I do think it paved the way, like physically and you know, emotionally, to have another baby vaginally. I, I didn't really have those like healing moments that I was hoping for. And that was really hard for me after because you know the the NICU team did whisk him away. And he was a boy, and it was that was the first gender we did know, but it was just like really special to have two girls and a boy. He was our smallest baby, so he was eight, twelve. I mean, I think that was like 41 and four, but I didn't get to hold him first. I didn't get to do the golden hour. I didn't get to do immediate skin to skin. He did spend like an hour in the NICU for observation, which which was hard. Um, I was happy he was healthy, you know, with a forcep assist and an OP baby, I could have had a lot more damage than I did. And I only had a second degree tear, which I was very grateful for because, you know, it could have been a lot worse. So, but he he was fine. We were healthy and I healed well. And it was a, a really great postpartum period and and the hormones are real and, and the birth high is real. And that really solidified kind of my passion for birth and what I wanted to do, you know, moving forward. So I met another um, mom through my same OB because everybody flocked to this OB. Um, she actually recorded a podcast episode around the same time as me, Tanya. I don't think she'll care if I share her name. We actually ended up through meeting and through like our VBAC starting an ICANN chapter in our community in November of 2020. So amidst the pandemic, <laughs> Um, we went through um, the ICANN leadership training, which is really exciting. So we now have an ICANN chapter that's been going pretty strong now for about three years. Um, and we were just growing our passion even more and connected even more to the birth community. So so yeah, so those are my my three stories in a nutshell. Tell everybody how to find that ICANN chapter in your area. If they're oh, sure. Okay, sure. I wasn't sure if I should show the details. Um, ICANN of Summit County. So we are in the, I live in like the greater Akron area. We tried to serve, we kind of serve the whole Summit County area. There's also a very active, large ICANN chapter in Cleveland, which is one of the longest standing ICANN chapters or the longest standing, which is really neat. So um, that's the, the chapter we started going to and, and really helped us. So we we um, love having our own chapter here. We're, we're growing, but, you know, juggling a lot of babies and um, mm-hmm. we have to take some pauses at times. So that's been really exciting and just really helped grow in our our passion and and kind of desire to keep doing this kind of work. So, yeah. So kind of, you know, through all of that, I still kept listening to podcasts and, and just devouring everything I could and had plans to become a doula and just hadn't been able to, you know, pull the trigger yet, but kind of always had this hope that one day, you know, I would be able to help other women and just kind of, you know, as the years went by, still didn't feel like our family was complete but I do want to add that I know a lot of women deal with this. So I want to speak to this because sometimes I think maybe women are like not afraid or ashamed to talk about it, but I did struggle with the difference between do I really want another baby and child? And do I really want, or do I really want another birth experience to do differently? But I've heard other people talk about that. So I am glad it took quite a few years to kind of trick my husband into having another baby (laughs) (laughs) because I wanted to make sure that I was doing it for the right reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was, it was kind of tugging at my soul and, and I think he wasn't officially done and around comes uh, mother's day, 2022. And, um, I uh, conceived baby number four and that's the best mother's day gift ever. <laughs> so, and that's kind of where the story starts. So I think always in the back of my head, I, I daydreamed and dreamt up this home birth plan. I I said, that's a dream of mine that will never happen because of my history and because, you know, we're not having any more kids. 
And because my body probably can't do that, I've always needed an epidural, you know, X, Y, and Z. So I just I had my birth team planned in my mind for years even. I, I was just like, this is what I'm going to do if I get pregnant again. But never thought I'd actually have to commit to that. <laughs> so, you know, along comes this pregnancy and we're super excited about it. And I started my OB care with my same doctor who is extremely supportive. And, and I knew he did co-care for home births just from, you know, talking to other women. So kind of went along with my pregnancy. It was, it was textbook, try to stay as active as I could. Um, I wasn't as sick this time. So I was just trying to really stay as healthy and, you know, and do all the things right that I could, because I know that I have big babies and I, I don't know if your weight gain plays into it, but I tend to gain a lot of weight every time, no matter what I'm doing. And with my son, he was the smallest and I had been running the whole pregnancy. So I thought, you know, I'm going to try to try to have another smaller baby. I kind of continue with OB care. Didn't do all the VBAC things that, you know, we have the lists, right? Like the spinning babies and the red, red raspberry leaf tea and the, and the dates and stuff. I didn't, you know, I had three kids and I'm working and didn't have time to do all the things, but I, I really tried to prioritize what I thought was most important. So I tried to start early with interviewing as many doulas as possible, really trying to find somebody who would really be the best support for me, whether I was in the hospital or at home, because I still hadn't committed, even though I knew in my heart, I really wanted to at least try for home birth. Interviewed a lot of doulas, found one who was spectacular, not not necessarily the most like experienced um, years wise, but I was okay with that because of some great reviews from friends and we just really clicked. And she was um, comfortable with the idea of home birth or hospital birth. And I know not all doulas are. So I think that is one important thing to kind of take into consideration. Um, I started, did start Webster's chiropractic care pretty early because I knew the only time my body ever went into labor on its own was with my third, my VBAC. And for me, that was a really huge thing. A really huge deal was to know that my body wasn't broken because it never went into labor with my first two. And thankfully that wasn't really a fear of mine anymore because I knew it could be done and I knew it could happen. Um, and the other thing that I really did was I wanted to do some like mental health work around like some of my fears and anxieties to try to really figure out if I was nervous about a home birth because of like intuition. Like we talk about, like you talk about fear, like something is going to go wrong medically or if it was just anxiety. So um worked a little bit with a mental health therapist and it was just nice to talk it out. I just, you know, kind of worked through those things with her and what my hesitations were and why and what my fears were and why and I really do think that helped a lot. Do so, they? Do you have any tips for our listeners that your therapist maybe gave you to like help recognize fear versus into? You know what I mean? We talk about this a lot on the podcast. Yeah, she she probably gave me tools, and I have an awful memory. There were some charts she wanted me to make, so I'll have to find those and send them to you. But it had to do with I don't remember exactly, but like working through like the roots. And uh -huh. then kind of figuring out like the why and not so much, you know, I had this like a weird fear of having like a really catastrophic, I don't know, um, emergency. And like, I don't know if that's just because I'm a nurse and that's where my mind goes or because people tell me it's so dangerous. So then I finally, you know, worked through that by looking at the statistics and, you know, listening to all the stories and realizing like that it isn't irrational Fear, but you can come up with a plan. You know, we had all the different plans set in place for that. But yeah, yeah I'll have to see. I'm sure she had some. I probably didn't do my homework, but she yes, probably has some exercises for me. I think you but, did. Um, yeah, I guess <laughs> a roundabout way. Um, yeah. And it, and it awesome. helps to talk to someone who's not your partner, you know, and not your mom and not yep. your coworker. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, we did like the prenatal co care. He was on board with the home birth plans, you know, as much as an OB can. He's, you know, really great. He was really great in that sense, but I was dragging my feet to make a decision. And I think this is partly my procrastination, partly my not committing to the idea because then I wouldn't have to do it. <laughs> so I think around, I, I interviewed a lot of midwives in around 28 weeks. I hired a midwife and like the, the medical professional in me decided to go with like a CNM and in Ohio, you know, laws are different everywhere, but certified nurse midwives are, you know, the nurses that have the nursing school and the master's degree in nursing. Most of those do not practice in, in the home birth setting in Ohio. Um, those are like the midwives you would get in the hospital. And we do not have any freestanding birth centers, sadly. So we just have very few options here. But there are about four nurse midwives now that do do practice home birth or, or come, come to the home. So I hired one and she was really wonderful. And I kind of knew her a little, a little bit personally through another friend. 
and had my first visit with her and I was feeling really excited and just had my doula hired, had my photographer hired, who is a, a home birth mama herself um, times two. And I loved the idea that she also would just really understand the space and what I needed. And she wasn't just a photographer. She was like another doula through my whole pregnancy and she was wonderful too. So unfortunately, after my first visit, we waited about four weeks to see each other again. And then like the day of that visit, she kind of let me go as a patient oh. over the phone, unfortunately, due to some things she read in my records. And mm. it's frustrating because she really knew my, my history really well. And I gave her like this huge stack of records to be nice. And in the op report, it talks about the uterine window, which we all know mm. is a little bogus. Um, and I understand. I have that was, too. Yeah. And, and it's... But I never, she never seen that, you know, who knows? I do feel like things were worked out the way they're supposed to, but the only reason it was difficult was because I was now like, what, 31 weeks and, and, and you don't want to have to change providers that late. So I uh, respected her and I would rather have someone that was 110% comfortable anyways. Yeah. Um, and the other CNMs in the area, I will say they wanted to do continuous fetal monitoring at home. One wanted to mm -hmm. put in a half block at home. They are just a little more conservative because of, I think, the climate in Ohio and their license, which I totally understand. So um, it, it worked out for the best in the end. But I raced to interview a couple more midwives. And thankfully, one that I had heard of but never talked to, we clicked instantly. My husband talked to her. He told some kind of joke about a uterus and she laughed and he hired her like on the spot. So we <laughs> fell in love with her. <laughs> She's just amazing. And we just instantly clicked and I knew she was my person. So um continue my care with her. That was like 33 weeks on. And she does, her office was an hour away. So that was one of my hesitations originally with, with some of the people up north was the distance. Yeah. So um did some co-care, you know, with my OB and with her. And then at 37 weeks, my OB, who our just whole area just adores and beyond. I mean, women drove to him from other states. He was unfortunately let go from the hospital. I don't know the details. I, I hate to say the word fired, but um, yeah, terminated, um, left a lot of women. Yeah, it, was, it was really devastating for like the birthing community up here in, in Northeast Ohio because a lot of women go to him for breech deliveries, twin triplet vaginal births, oh. you know, like the renegade of the hospital who was kind of operating on his own, you know, yeah. accord and it would go to all his own births. And a lot of women would never have even been given an option to have a, a, a vaginal delivery without him. So it was, it was really heartbreaking. So one of the most supportive people yes. in birth was mm -hmm. let go for whatever reason. Yeah. Unfortunately. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, we, there's a lot of tears shed by a lot of people just who had delivered with him, who worked with him, who, you know, so anyways, I don't want to get too caught up on that, but just really upsetting for somebody whose hospital transfer backup plan was hey, an amazing yeah. 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 So I had all these birth plans written out and now my non-urgent hospital transfer, I don't, don't really have that option, which, you know, to me, I'm like, well, there, there goes my home birth because, you know, what if I need, need pay, um, pain relief or whatnot? So I did transfer to um, the local hospital midwife group in a hospital about two miles down the road in Akron. Thankfully, I delivered my first with them and they had records and they were really wonderful when I went in at like 39 weeks saying, hey, I need co-care for a, a home birth. Um, even this one OB walked in and I, I got so nervous because it was supposed to be a midwife. She was running late or, or behind and this OB walks in and I'm like, oh crap. And the OB just goes, what do you need from me? I see you're planning a home birth. And I almost cried on the spot because it was just wonderful to have this fresh out of school <laughs> OB just just to be okay with that I'm like yeah. thank you so much for that I really needed that today because I'm like 39 weeks you know so the end of the pregnancy went fine um you know did all the things you know some mile circuits and I didn't go crazy with like the dates or the tea or anything but you know I tried to stay active didn't have as many breaks and hicks or anything as I had in the past but you know definitely like the heavy pressure in the pelvis and I could hardly walk and everything felt really low this time and a lot of back pain and like hip pressure and hip pain this time. So um, I tried not to focus on the when. <laughs> when is labor going to start? You know, you can get really obsessive with it, especially when mm -hmm. you're known to go over to. <laughs> but just tried to really like just stay present and, and be there for the kids and enjoy those last days. I did begin to like lose my mucus plug at my midwife's office, which is funny. At like 39 weeks, like, what is this? <laughs> She's like, I think that's your mucus plug because I was giving a urine sample. I'm like, oh my gosh. So things were starting to brew a little earlier. I know, baby. Um, a little earlier, which was really exciting. Started, you know, having some mild contractions. 
And then I think I was, so let's see, I was due on February 2nd. So, so like the actual early labor contractions that were noticeable started on a Monday. So I was 40 and four. Uh, my parents were over for dinner and just like, you know, they were getting kind of, they were, they were consistent enough and I was just getting irritable. So I just like, went up to my room, kind of excused myself from dinner. I'm like, I'm going to go lay down or whatever. Um, I had taken that day off. That was my first day off work. So that was a Monday. Um, and my last day of work was the previous Thursday. So I had gotten a manicure and, you know, I'm like, this is going to be a pampering day, which was maybe helpful. I think, I think that day of rest really did help my body kind of, kind of switch into gear. Um, yeah. yeah. And, and I know, you know, everyone says just to rest <laughs> and it'll happen when it's time. And it did. <laughs> this podcast episode is brought to you by the Lactation Network, or as we call them, TLN. I have three babies and three different breastfeeding experiences. After I got quote unquote mastered with my first, I never thought about breastfeeding being difficult again. But with my second daughter, when she was born a pound smaller and developed torticollis from birth, I found myself feeling stuck again and wondering who I could call and who I could get help from. My babies like to come on the weekends, so once again, I didn't have an IVCLC available at my hospital. I ended up reaching out to one locally. She was amazing, but also super spendy. I told my husband how it was well worth it, but I didn't get why IBCLCs were not covered by insurance. After all, we are feeding humans. It's kind of a big deal. Well, guess what, mamas? Because of TLN, you can get breastfeeding help and have it covered by your insurance. It's absolutely amazing, and I feel like the entire birth world needs to know it. I honestly suggest all mamas plan ahead if you can. Get a free consultation today, no matter if you are planning or have a situation that need, you need to be seen really soon. You can check them out at tln.care slash VBAC. So yeah, so like contractions kind of started um, picking up that night. Something of, of note with my first VBAC. So my, my third birth was my contractions just like immediately went to like one to two minutes apart. And that's why I went to the hospital so early. So I was like, okay, don't go to the hospital or don't not, don't call everybody in too soon. Like, you know that this mm -hmm. is how your body is in early labor. So I was like, you know, I did took the shower and I rested and I was just out in the sunroom, which was like my happy spot in our new house. And I think I was like watching The Bachelor, which is ridiculous, but don't even like that show. But I was like, okay, if I can still watch TV, it's still early labor. So kind of went on, texted my team a little bit, but just said, hey, I think things are brewing. You know, had some bloody show at like I think 8 p.m., but I'm going to just, you know, keep doing what I'm doing on the ball and, and resting. So I think it was around like 11 p.m. that I could no longer watch like TV or want to. So I was like, okay, I'm going to keep everyone updated, but no reason to call in the troops yet. Like I'm going to let my husband sleep. I think I did like text everyone around midnight. Um, and like contractions were like two to three minutes apart. And they were just like definitely getting like more uh, painful. I was still breathing through them, but like just getting nervous because, you know, my midwife was an hour away. And so I think my husband woke up around 1 a.m., and kind of like urged everybody to come over. And so everybody got there around 2 a.m. And this is like 2 a.m. on Tuesday morning. So February 7th was the day she was born. Um, and so my doula got there first and she kind of just stayed by my side and, you know, did like hip squeezes and um, rubbed my back. And like, she was just super wonderful, supportive. Just, you know, everyone really just, as they came into the house, like, let me be. What I love about home birth is just they don't disrupt you. You know, they hold the space for you. They are quiet and respective of like your environment and just check on you when they need to. So, you know, they take your vitals every so often, listen to the baby's heartbeat. And really they just hung out in my living room until I needed them again. Um, and I just kind of labored up in my bedroom for most of the night, took a lot of showers, did a lot of like leaning over the bed and, you know, rolling hip rolls on the ball and nobody ever checked me. So talking about cervical exams, I never really thought about it. And they never asked and it would have been interesting to know where I was through all of this, but yeah, I never got checked once during the whole situation, during the whole, um, whole birth. So that was, um, I think really cool in the end. So everybody kind of filed in around like 2 AM and stayed, like I said, like through like most of the night and then around 9 AM, I like went downstairs to see my older kids and they stayed home from school because they were up throughout the night too. And, you know, kind of coming in and out of the room. And I really did want them there for the birth. 
they were really in- interested and I thought it'd be really special. <laughs> but when I went down to see them, everything just stalled and fizzled completely. And I, I guess I just like, didn't even think about this as an option because I was really in it. I thought like, you know, like I was having painful contractions that were coming regularly and, and I was really having to work through them. So everything kind of died down and I kind of just, you know, had some food. I said goodbye to them. They just, my husband took them to my mother-in-law's for the day and we just decided I was going to rest. I went on a walk with my doula. We did some curb walking. Like I felt this like huge pressure to get things moving faster. Right. Because my team had been there since 2 a.m. Like I was doing the thing, like we're here. I thought this was the real deal. And then it fizzles. So like I finally had this talk with my midwife. I think I was like naked or maybe in a robe after getting out of one of my million showers, which I loved the shower. And she's like, let's just regroup. Let's just have a chat. Like I think you need to, let's just reset. I think we need to get out of your space. Um, mm-hmm. Things are happening. You're doing the work. I don't doubt that, but I think you just need to rest. So, and, and I wanted, I'm like the people pleaser and I wanted them to go home and get some rest. And I want to say like the whole team stayed there for the 12 hours and they have babies of their own at home and they were like amazing. And she says, I think this will be good for you. I had a big cry, you know, <laughs> like that release, like I felt so guilty that they had all been there. And I kind of felt like maybe this was a false alarm. And I just, you know, had everybody come over for no reason. But in the end, it was good for us. So we, you know, had a rest, kind of napped on and off, ate some food, smearing blueberries all over my shirt, ate some food, (laughs) took some showers and just kind of hunkered down, you know, just my husband and I. And I think it was really good for us to just have that time. And then my husband, I was kind of napping on and off. And my husband decided to go take some um, clothes to the kids at my mother-in-law's house, which is about 20 minutes away. So around seven o'clock, my mom and dad come over and like, he planned this behind my back, like without, you know, bothering me. And I was like, okay, whatever. My mom had talked about being at deliveries in the past and it just was never the right time or, you know, we just never really felt right to have someone else in the room. And I said, whatever, she can sit with me. That's great. She was just kind of sitting in the corner quietly of the room and I was resting. And then all of a sudden, like seven o'clock, hits my husband's still gone and i'm just like all of a sudden contractions come back out of the blue just super strong uh, and powerful and um my husband facetimes me with the kids like i don't know a little after seven o'clock and then all of a sudden i have this giant contraction and i just like throw my phone off the bed and just yell like i can't talk <laughs> i felt really bad <laughs> but um and i just managed to text like come home now not doing well or something like that and i, I just didn't even know this could happen where you could just be so you know, you could labor, have this break, and then it just could like shoot you right into like, you know, active labor transition. But he, you know, comes home as fast as he can. And my mom is in the room, like, God love her. She's a nurse by trade of like, what, 50 years, <laughs> never an OB. And she's just kind of like, okay, like, do you want help? Do you not want help? So finally, I'm like, rub my back or something. Like, I couldn't really talk at this point. It really went from zero to 100. So she's like doing hip squeezes the best she can. You know, we're getting myself myself in and out of the tub a couple of times, you know, having to keep put like hot water and new hot water in it. And mm-hmm. she's got the bucket. my God, love my mom with her bucket of water. And, and we're, you know, we're doing, she's kind of like just me and her here. And I just think I texted the group, like, can't do this much longer to like the birth team, but not much information got relayed to the team just not no one's fault. It was just kind of like this lack of communication between like me, my mom, and my husband, who was like the communicator. So things are things are getting pretty hard. Um, I, I'm definitely like vocal, and my contractions are back to back, and my back is just killing me. And I think at this point, my husband's home. I think like seven forty at night, he's home. He's like moving cars to the neighbor's driveway, and I I'm in the water at this point, and there's like a pop in the water, and I, I knew from like past episodes of other birth stories, like that's when your water breaks in the water, Amy, but like, didn't like want to believe that was happening because my water's never mm-hmm. broken on its own because it was broken for me. <laughs> so this never gets relayed to anybody. Like my mom was like, I knew you were probably in transition, but I just didn't tell anyone. I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was vomiting also. And like that never got relayed to the team. So they're asking my husband, like, are her contractions different? Has she tried an Epsom salt bath? Where oh, are they located? Geez. And my husband, I'm looking back at the text and he's like, She's not answering. They're different. She wants checked now. Like, cause I was yelling, like, or not yelling. I, I feel like I was yelling, but I was just probably like yeah. whispering. I was like, I, at that point I was like, I need checked now because if I'm not like very close, I can't do this anymore. And a lot of things I think I've verbalized, I probably were, were just like in my head, 
but I was like, I need an epidural. If you know, this isn't going to happen yeah. soon, like get me to the hospital. Right. And, and I was just, well, that's <laughs> what happens in the end, right? We yeah. like have this sense of like, I can't, yeah. I can't, I, I can't, I don't want to, yeah. I, nope. this, I'm done, you know, but yeah. that's the end. Yep. Yep. And just, and, and I'm kind of sugarcoated. It was pure mis- misery. And it felt like my bones were breaking, but I was trying, I was relaxing my body as much as I could because I knew I needed to. And, and I was in the tub for most of that portion. So definitely was in transition and nobody knew. I think the, the, I think my husband called my doula and she said just recently, she says, I heard you in the background and I like grabbed my keys and ran because I think I was doing like the low, like mm-hmm. birthy moaning already. But no one else, like, I just never thought to call my midwife because in those like moments, like I couldn't have even thought straight. Like I wasn't even thinking to text or call anyone. I was like, just trying to survive in that, you know, primal right. So she was like, I sped so fast. And so my God love my doula. So she walks in the door first. I think it's like 8.45 at this point. So like 7 p.m. is when everything kind of like kicked kicked up fast. So she walks in and and she was really just, you know, doing all the comfort measures she could. I was in the water. I think all the other birth teams started heading over. My midwife had an hour drive and she got stuck behind a train. <laughs> and the midwife assistant who was hired because she lived more in my area, which is great, happened to be in her by at a basketball game for her son. And so she headed over to check me in quotations. So it's important to note that when they were there the first time they had all their equipment, but they took it all home. Like they packed it all back up. So when she comes up, (laughs) she comes upstairs to check me. She has like a flashlight and a Doppler, (laughs) maybe like a player gloves, like in her pocket. And so um, I never get checked. So that's the end of that, you know, (laughs) that story ends, but she heads in and our photographer gets there at 9.45. And one of the heartbreaking parts of my first feedback was our photographer left in the hospital during my epidural and never came back. So I was very heartbroken. I didn't have photos. And God love my photographer. She made it just in the nick of time. So she shows up and she also had an hour drive. So And a baby of her own at home. So she gets there at like 9.45. And at this point, I think I'm just like up to the bathroom a lot. And like I couldn't stop like going to the bathroom like TMI, but like pooping. <laughs> I just remember the midwife assistant dragging me off the toilet and she's like very direct and she, and I didn't even know her that well. And she is a midwife in training also, thankfully. So she is very close to the end of her midwifery training. Thank God. Um, But she was um, like, we need to go. Come on, honey. It's okay. If you keep pooping, come on, get off the toilet now. Like, and I was like doing like I was bearing down. I didn't know it, but I was definitely having like fetal ejection (laughs) reflex at that point but I think I was still in denial that it was the baby. So it's just like, you know, doing these grunts and like moans. And like, I just think I was still like, oh, I'm probably like six centimeters because I didn't want to like um, let myself down, you know? Yeah. Like, I still had so many fears of, am I going to, you know, end up in the hospital for pain relief? Is the baby, am I going to get to 10 centimeters? Is the baby going to be OP again? You know, all these things. So like I get back in the tub and it's all very like blurry and fuzzy at this point, but like piecing together, um, from what people have told me in text, like, I know I was like, she said to like, reach down and, and see what you feel. Cause I said, it burns, you know, I was like, oh my gosh, it burns. She's like, well, what do you feel? And I'm like, I don't know what that is. It's like fleshy. And then in that moment I thought it was a butt and I thought, oh my gosh, this baby's coming out breach. And like my midwife isn't here yet. And I'm at home, but I think it was the head I don't know. I really didn't know what I was feeling. I was kind of afraid to touch. I think I was just probably cap it or yeah. Yeah. I was like, what is this? So I guess we knew it was close and she's trying to look with a flashlight. And I really did think I wanted a water birth, but I guess I, I wasn't getting in a position that she liked the midwife assistant liked because I kept like kneeling where I was giving no room for the baby to come out. (laughs) She kept going, you have to lean forward. Like you have to lean forward or sit back. Like you can't kneel like that because the baby can't come out if you're sitting on your, you know, like, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, whatever. So we decided to get out of the tub, which is very hard to get up over that edge of the tub. For anyone that's seen my birth video, like I had it posted to the group, it's like, they helped me out of the tub, very difficult, very miserable. And then I like kind of like made my way to the side of the bed. And at that point, I think I'm just, I think my body's pushing and I don't even realize it. Like, I don't remember if there was pain. It's all kind of a blur. It was just all very intense, but I, I know that I, from photos, I know that I was like squatting next to my bed with my arms around my husband's neck. He's like holding up all my weight. (laughs) And they said that I was pulling him over. So like he is six, one, like two fifty. All right. I'm like five, five. So I was like 
a maniac, <laughs> pulling on it with all my strength. And I and I I birth her head like next to the bed. Um, and I honestly don't remember feeling it. Like I do not remember any crazy pain or anything. I think I was just like so in, in birth land. So her head comes out, and I just remember my body just shuts down. Like no urge to push, no contractions. And I've heard other people say this, and I think on your podcast. So it felt very validating to hear this because everyone was like, you got to keep pushing. And I really didn't want, want coach pushing. I wanted, you know, from the hospital, you get yelled at to push, push, push. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want that. Hi. But she's like, you got to push like the heads out. Like, and I just remember it being very, not like scary, but just very like urgent and very, um, just like matter of fact, like mm-hmm. we need you to push. You've got to do like, this. Yeah, you've got to do this. My 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 husband. There's a small spot next to the bed. You know, you always birth in little spots, right? So my my husband's behind me. My doula's next to me. My mom's somewhere in there. The photographer's across the room, and I just instinctively rolled onto the bed. And you have to remember, there's no chucks pads down. Like we are not having a baby on a bed right now. We are planning for it. So I had a mattress protector on, thank God, but like no chucks pads. I roll onto my side. It was like my leg up in the air. And at that point, it gets a little intense because, you know, this the midwife assistant's by herself and they do like to have two people there. The resuscitation equipment is not in the house. There's nothing to help me or baby if anything goes wrong. So there, there was some intensity in the moment. And she did tell my mom to put like a timer on the clock and that after 60 seconds, we were going to call EMS. And when I heard that, when I heard her say, so so 60 seconds does go by and thank God my mom's a nurse, but nobody knows she's a nurse. So the funny part is, is like, none of these people knew she was like an RN of, you know, 50 years. And on the other side of the house is my dad. I didn't know he was there and he is a physician by trade, <laughs> um, retired and nobody knows any of this. So it was funny after the fact, but funny, but not funny, but you know, comical after the yeah. fact. And so she's like, puts 90 or 60 seconds on the clock, which I think is like, a conservative amount. I know a head can be out for longer, but I, I think like coloring and other things go into the, into mm-hmm. the picture, into the, you know, factor in. So, so as soon as I hear my midwife very calmly and everything was very calm, I have to say that was the most beautifully handled situation. I never felt scared. I didn't feel traumatic after, but she very calmly said, please call 911 to my mom, which has to be hard for like a grandma who was supportive oh, of home birth. Mom. Yeah. I know my mom and dad were, were supportive and I, I know my dad especially was concerned from his background and I know they had a lot of questions and they trusted me and my research and I lived very close to two really huge, you know, big hospitals, but that had to be really scary. So but th- when she did it, she did great. She went downstairs to open the doors for EMS and she missed the baby being born <laughs> because uh, when I, when I heard call 911, I gave like the most roaring push, my jeweler would call it kind of like scream pushed. And my midwife did like go in and like release her arm. She had shoulder dystocia, right? She had a shoulder dystocia. Yeah. So I guess technically it was a dystocia. If I don't know, I've, I always felt like I needed to know. And I've done a lot of research, like, was it really, or could I have just changed positions or like, was it rushed? Mm-hmm. But in the end, I think we'll call it a dystocia because she went in and she helped, but, but she popped right, you know, kind of came right out with that little bit of assistance. And by the time my mom got upstairs from opening the front door, <laughs> baby was born and like, it's all such a blur, but she, I think she needed, she needed a little stimulation and like, you know, her coloring wasn't like perfect coming out, but I don't think there were any concerns. Her APGARs were fine. Like we just kind of stimulated her a little bit and she started crying and everybody like, like this huge sigh of relief, (laughs) you know, because we didn't have the equipment and, you know, my midwife still wasn't there yet. (laughs) So um, she did a beautiful job and I'm just like forever grateful for her skill set and the fact that like, she knew how to handle it. And I love that my story can show people that situations can arise. And I don't want to say emergencies, but you know, tough situations can arise where these skills are needed and, and, and they're used. And these midwives are like wonderfully trained. So EMS walks in and they see this baby that's, you know, crying and pinked up and we're all like laughing and happy and, you know, just riding the birth high. And they're just like, okay, you're good here. We're like, yep, we're good. And they're like, congratulations. And they laughed like they did not. Uh, they said, we would rather like deal with a gunshot wound than deliver a baby. I'm like, we do not. They had a cord clamp. Uh, like, do you need a cord clamp? We're like, no, I think so. It's like all they brought with them. It was cute. So there was apparently like a line of men, like down my steps, like, like oh nine EMS were here gosh. with two squads. Like you guys, yeah, they didn't the need anything. No, no. Yeah. and we were, and I'm really glad they responded. I'm like, 
know, not that I wanted that to be a part of my story necessarily, but like it was what needed to happen. And I felt like she took the, she took the steps she needed to, to feel comfortable, like delivering on her own. And, and, and it all ended up wonderful. And like so many things can, you know, things can go wrong with shoulder dystocia. So I was just very blessed that she came up, you know, as well as she did. I didn't have a tear. I had like maybe a, a tiny first degree tear, which was great. And she was a nine and a half pounds. So not yeah. my smallest either. My second biggest. And we found out she was a girl. And yeah, I mean, the rest is just, you know, the, the beautiful postpartum <laughs> bliss. My midwife shows up like, like, I don't know. She was born at 10, 10 PM. So my midwife shows up at like 10, 25, like totally bummed because, Aww. you know, you don't want to miss it. I loved her and we had such a great bond and so glad she was there with me a lot of the day. And, and she was just so, you know, there was just so much joy in the room and they did all, you know, all the postpartum stuff you do at a home birth and, and weighed her and measured her and we latched. I did, well, my placenta, <laughs> I'll go back my placenta. I love that they don't rush it right in home birth. So I, I stood up there like maybe gravity will help because I had the cramps and I wanted to get up to take a shower. And well, we just crack up because I literally like walked like a few steps across the room and my midwife, God love her, had like this Chuck's pad, like, you know, under me because I'm sure I was bleeding yeah. and dripping. And like, I like gave this little like cough push and like the placenta, like midway walking through my room, the placenta just like plops out, like rapid speed, drops the Chuck's pad down to the ground, like lands oh on it. Gosh. And we all start cracking up. So we might have named it my Plop Santa, which is probably like to but <laughs> <laughs> to this day, my, my daughter still calls it that. But it was hilarious. It was kind of fun. Um, so, so that happened. I took my shower, like she was here and like still couldn't, you know, couldn't believe it went down that way. And that my mom, you know, was there for the birth, even though she never was really planning on it. And yeah, I'm sure there's so many details in there and myths, but I've been talking forever. So Aww. I mean, it like literally is just like going from, you know, thinking you have this like scarlet letter of big babies and C-sections and OP babies to, I don't know. It was really like a really fast, I guess, what is that the active labor? But like from 7 p.m. to 10, I mean, it, it all happened really fast. So yeah. um, with hardly a push, maybe like two coach pushes, you know, at the end there, it's a little bit of help from the midwife, but yeah, it's wild how, how, you know, each delivery is different. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm just really grateful that, that I had a team I had and, and trusted myself and body and, and, and the process. And yeah, we're just really grateful. Oh. And, and, and it was beautiful. I am so happy for you. So, and look how beautiful. I know everybody right now can't can't see her, but she's so beautiful and so darling. So, um, with having you know like EMS and stuff like that, like involved, that in a lot of times can have trauma in, involved with that too, or like, or maybe for future ki- future kids, like maybe some people will say like, oh, well, this had to happen last time, and maybe question, you know, doing home birth. Um, mm-hmm. Do you have any tips for anyone to like, you know, where it's like, like you said, you're like, it's not necessarily what I would have loved to have in my story, but it happened and it was fine. And yeah, yeah. I, think, I think I had to debrief a lot because I'm the type that wants to know the why, you know, like my, my nurse mind. And so kind of what happened with my, my first feedback, I felt like really victorious. And then as I started like nitpicking the birth and all the interventions, I kind of had like a huge dip in my mood and, and got real upset about it. So that I have to like work through it and then and go through all the details. And so with this, I, I don't think I felt, I really, I remember saying it out loud. I, I really didn't feel like it was traumatic. I I really had to, to think about the why, like why they were called. Like I felt like just it was very extra precaution. Yeah. Yes. And, and it was really just, and I, and I said to my midwife when, you know, after the fact, she's been a, catching babies for 10 years. And so I said like, you know, would it have been, would you have called it 60 seconds? And like, I just don't know if she, can answer that without having been there because I do think you have to look at like baby's coloring and and I think they can tell by the cardinal movements as they're coming out. I don't think she was turning the way she was supposed to. She wasn't doing the turtling in, but she wasn't doing the, the, the cardinal movements she was supposed to. So, you know, I don't know had there been two sets of hands, had they would have called that soon. Maybe we would have gotten baby up before, but I'm actually just really grateful they called and I have to like reframe it that way. Um, mm-hmm. and, I, and maybe working with a therapist if, if you felt like some of the things that happened weren't necessarily, you know, um, healing or what you wanted. Yes, you love blue and But I just thought of it as, hey, you know, some of my medical friends, you know, that I work with or, or colleagues that thought home birth was so dangerous. Look how proactive they were. Like, look, 
they, a lot of, there are some midwives who think they can do it and they don't call in help at the right time or they don't transfer quick enough. And my midwife always said like, I will never, you know, second guess your intuition. I'll even like, if you say you need to go to the hospital, I'm going to follow your, you know, your guidance. And we're never going to risk anything and we're never going to cut things close. And that's why I felt so comfortable with this team because like I had a, you know, an emergency transfer plan and I had a non-urgent transfer plan and everything was spelled out very nicely. And I knew they were going to push the limit. Um, So I just had to tell myself, like, she didn't have resuscitation equipment. She needed extra hands. And like, when I, when I went through like the postpartum follow-ups are so wonderful, you know, they come at one day, they come at three days. And a lot of that was very therapeutic for me to talk through the why. And, you know, I didn't even realize at the time when she was born that that was one of the reasons, like she really didn't have anything with her. A lot of it was in her trunk (laughs) and because she wasn't, we weren't planning to have the baby that quick. Um, Uh I think I had this long drawn out early labor phase and that's just how my body was in the past. You know, my first two other two labors, I went from four to 10 (laughs) with an epidural in like an hour. So I think like my body does this like pause until I relax and then I go real quick. And that's just how it has been with the other two. So, so yeah, I think if you have some parts that might, you know, and it's okay for parts to be traumatic, it can still be like a beautiful birth if there's parts that didn't go perfectly as planned. And I think that's one of the things I've had to work through a lot, but it was just still very healing the ends. And I, and I had to just look at the why I think, and that's kind of, I think how I threw out that part. I didn't love hearing that part at first because I didn't want people to, you know, say, I told you so, or some of my more medically minded friends and colleagues. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like the word shoulder dystocia is really scary, but I also feel like after hearing some other, sto- you know, birth, birth stories, I feel like some doctors aren't even as skilled as at handling the dystocias as the midwives are, you know, or they, yeah. they jump to way more intense interventions because they can and, and midwives have to have the skills. I just just love that you did. I love that you did share that because it's not like you're like traditional. It's it's what people fear when they Mm -hmm. have home birth of like, you know, Mm -hmm. having to transfer EMS. But Mm -hmm. like, I, that's what I noticed is, you know, I love that you're like, I had to break it down to the why and Mm -hmm. like not let that make it be traumatizing. Right. Like she Mm -hmm. really had nothing. And so she was only being the smartest midwife she could mm-hmm. be in yeah. case this yes. little baby needed help. Right. And like, yes. she, she knew that this other midwife wasn't close, couldn't make it to her in time. And so she got that help. And, and it just, I love that you pointed that out because that's, I mean, really most mm-hmm. emergencies can be handled within a an appropriate time. And I know that, you know, there's always like the nuances, but I love that you're like, and then they got there and they're like, all right, so you're good because okay, <laughs> <Yeah>. bye. <laughs> I know. I mean, yeah, I always had like a little fear of hemorrhaging, even though I never had. You have a a little fear of I don't know what are the major things like a like a dystocia or like malposition where I'm not gonna you know mm-hmm. be able to push baby out because in my past I had it, and I think it's yeah. important to know that like having an assisted delivery for my third, my first feedback, really cut like my confidence down, like really um, sure. made me not believe in my body. And I kept going, well, like I really didn't push the baby out myself last time <laughs> because <laughs> he really did jump to interventions really quickly for whatever reason, like this time clock. And so I kept going to my midwife, like, but I, I don't really have the proven pelvis, you know, like quotations, because I really didn't push that baby out myself. Like they helped her out or helped him out. So I don't know where I was going yeah. with that, but, <laughs> but I, I think, you know, like. Well, it, it plays some doubt. Help right? It yeah, placed some doubt and that's hard. And then you went and you totally quotation. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like the it. proven pelvis thing. It's like, no, you did. Yeah. You're amazing. Oh, we did it. She came out. Yeah. She, yeah. But really, really without too much effort, you know, and, and you can say the midwife assistant helped her arm out, but really we got her out. And so you she, did. And I want to say too, like it was her, for anybody who's like nervous about midwifery and their skills. It was like her seventh or eighth catch ever um, by herself and her first dystocia. So I asked her just last night, like, were you internally freaking out because you were very calm and confident? Mm -hmm. She's like, no, but you know, (laughs) like Uh, it was definitely my first dystocia. And I'm like, well, I'm almost glad you did it on your own because I hope it built your confidence as a midwife. Exactly. She had that situation. And, um, and, and like, I don't, you know, I don't want her whole story to be focused on that one moment and that, you know, that one instance and be labeled with this, you know, shoulder yeah. dystocia. But I do think it's important for people who have 
you know, the um, history of large babies to know that that doesn't have to keep you from having a low intervention birth or an out of hospital birth. Yes. You have to trust yourself and, and do what you're most comfortable with. And it came down to me. It was, this is where I felt safest. And I knew that if I went to the hospital in the past, one intervention always led to just another intervention that led to a more difficult delivery than it had to be. And I just knew that I walking into the hospital, I was just not going to have the opportunity to probably have no interventions unless I showed up crowding. So I felt safest at home. And then I hired a team I felt safest with. And if I can give any advice, I would be to just think about that and and where you're going to feel most comfortable in control, safest, and hire a team that you feel 100% comfortable with. Yes. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing. Thank you. Thank you. I do love all of it. I love every single detail. I love that you shared the ups and the downs and the like, I noticed like you were alone for a minute and then mm-hmm. that's what your body needed. And then you kicked right back mm-hmm. in the gear. So that is just amazing. So I want to talk a little bit before we get going on cervical exams. Yes. Um. So, okay. So let's talk about cervical exams. Now in hospital, they are way more likely to perform that. And then in out of hospital, they don't. And I don't I don't want to make it sound like we're saying like out of hospital is better than in hospital at all. That's just just as the way the kind of the system goes in the hospital, right? We have mm-hmm. standard cervical exam. So cervical exams before labor, let's talk a little bit about that. Are they necessary? That's a big question, right? Do we have to start having cervical exams before we're even in labor? Because we have so many providers and and even out of hospital providers that will say, oh, well, let's just check your cervix and see where it's at. Or they'll say, well, you know, we're getting to that 39 weeks mark. We better check your cervix and see if you're going to be capable of having a VBAC. So the question is, are they, are they necessary? No, they are not necessary. It does not tell us anything. It really doesn't. All it does is help your curiosity and tell someone where you are that day in that moment. That is not going to necessarily change anything to predict the future. It's not going to predict the future, right? So if you are one centimeter dilated and 40% effaced, you know, or something like that at your 39-week visit, that does not mean your body's not going to do it and you're not going to be able to have a VBAC. So what I do feel like it, so it, what does it help? Nothing really. Maybe your curiosity, right? What does it hurt? Well, they can be uncomfortable. It can cause some prodromal labor if they are in there and they're too aggressive and it's stimulating things. It can hurt us emotionally, right? Because if we are getting this number and we're being told these things at 39, 40 weeks, 38 weeks even we've had some people like that's that's really really hard to hear because then you start doubting yourself right so it hurts us emotionally and places doubt so are you needing a cervical exam before labor no women of strength no if you do not feel like you want one you do not have to have one say no say nah maybe next time and maybe next time you want one, maybe next time you're still like, nah, nah, maybe next time. <laughs> right. So, so that's before labor. Now let's talk about cervical exams in labor. You know, there's actually like no real deep studies demonstrating like that there's actually clinical, clinical benefits in routine exams before labor, but then in labor, they are doing it all the time too. And there's not a ton of solid evidence that even tells us that it's going to tell us anything, but again, what it is in that very moment, right? And so, okay. So um, what can cervical exams in labor tell us? Well, okay. It can tell us what we are in that very moment. It can give us an idea. It can, you know, appease our curiosity. It can tell a provider a station, a station of the baby, whether how high or how low a baby is, it can help. And and this is help, not tell exactly. It can help a provider see where a baby is position wise. But even then, you really have to be 
dilated enough or baby has to be low enough. Sometimes like the water, they can't even tell through the bag of water if there's a bag of water, things like that. Like, so yes, it can help with the position, but it's not going to always be sure, you know, exactly. Okay, so let's see what else it can help with. Induction, if we're going in for an induction, it can help us know a, a base, a starting point, and what method of induction may be appropriate at that time. Okay, so if there's a medical reason or a desired reason for an induction, you may want to get a cervical exam to see what you're going to do because they may want to place a Foley or you may be dilated enough and they may just start Pitocin. Or sometimes for the mom standpoint, a cervical exam can sometimes be beneficial. Again, it goes back to curiosity, but on their debate on an epidural, maybe they're like, I'm really, really tired. But if I'm in their head, they're like, I'm past a six, then I'll keep going. But if I'm a three, I need a break, right? And so that, again, it's a mental thing. But what, when would we maybe not, and this is another thing, we have a lot of providers standardly every two hours Every two hours, putting our, their fingers in vaginas. No, Every two hours. So we we are introducing things that we don't need to be introducing, right? Like bacteria, mm. risk of infection. So mm. when may you want to say heck to the no, right? When do we want to say hell no? That's I'm just going to say it. <laughs> when do we want to say that? Well, we just kind of mentioned it. Maybe if your water has been broken for a long time or just broken at all. Maybe we don't want to continue to introduce that. Maybe if we've been told that in a previous exam that we've had a bulgy bag, right? Because we can have an accidental rupture of membranes with a cervical exam. Not too much has changed, right? And so like in your story, right? Like if you were to have gotten an exam earlier before they left, they would have been like, okay, like, well, not much has changed, but let's still check your cervix anyway. But instead they're like, not much has changed right now. It's kind of slowed down. Why don't we just take a break and we'll leave and you can hang, you know, versus like, well, let's, let's do a cervical exam. If not much has changed, probably not much has changed. They don't feel good. So if you've had a previous cervical exam that didn't feel very good and not much has changed and it's only been two hours, probably still not going to feel super good, right? They're also, this is another thing is, if one nurse came in two hours ago and now we have another nurse coming in, we probably don't want to do that because guess what, you guys, they are subjective. Is that the right word? I don't even know if that's the right word. They're not always accurate, right? Like my hand and your hand are different sizes. My fingers are different lengths, everything. And everyone's perspective is a little different. And so you may get a, oh, you're five centimeters. And then you may get a, oh, you're three centimeters or, oh, your baby's at zero station or, oh, your baby's at plus two station. You know, we just, it never, it's never a full on guarantee. And so a big question is, is can I say no to a cervical exam in labor? Again, the answer is yes. You can say no. Never feel like you have to have a cervical exam. And that doesn't mean you, you, you know, maybe it's changing from you don't want one now and then maybe you want one later, but you do not have to have a cervical exam. And there's really not a ton that really tells us what we're going to be in three hours. It's just not. It's just not. Um, so anyway, I'm going to get off my rant of cervical exams, but I don't love them. I also didn't have many. I did have some in my birth, but I didn't have many, but you know, I've been to births just like yours where we've never known how dilated and we fixate on this dilation number so hard and we don't need to. So women of strength, your cervix does not need to be checked. <laughs> it does not need to tell anybody any information. If you want the information, get it. But just know that even when you get that information, that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be five, six, seven, ten centimeters in the next hour or three hours. Look at Amy. She went from four to ten, you know, or whatever. We don't even know in this situation, this last birth, really. But like but she, no. went from, <laughs> she went from chill labor to intense active labor to a baby out, right? Like we have no idea where she was and that's okay. But do you know, want to know what I, I can tell you? 
She's got a beautiful baby in her arms right now. She gets and if a baby. I knew, like, I do think that it, you have to know yourself. And I know people love to know the information, but I think I would have been really discouraged had I known maybe I was four or five when my team left after the first 12 hours. And then I think that would have been a huge mental block. So, mm-hmm. and then your body can shut. I mean, who knows if yes. like labor started back up or kept going. And so part of me goes, man, I'd love to know where I was just so I could piece it together now and tell the story with, with the centimeters and, and just maybe help someone else. But I'm also kind of like, I dilated to a 10 and we knew it was time to push because my body pushed, you know, and, and, and I think the surrendering was what I needed personally. And I, and I think um, mm-hmm. doing that route was, was best for me. And now some people that would stress them out to not know, but I think for us, it was helpful. Yeah. So I do love, yeah, I love that, that there's options and I do, you know, I do think you need to advocate for that in the hospital because you do get pressured a lot to get checked. I will say that. Yes, you do. For sure. We know that. All right. Well, we will let you guys go. We'll get off our, my cervical exam rant and we will catch you next week. Thank you for having Juniper and I. We're so, so, so happy to share our story. So thank you so much. Would you like to be a guest on the podcast? Head over to the vbacklink.com slash share to submit your story. For information on all things VBAC, including online and in-person VBAC classes, the VBAC blog, the worldwide database for VBAC doulas, and more, head over to the vbacklink.com. Congratulations on starting your journey of learning and discovery with the VBAC link.